Welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechtekhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business to science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. Today, our guest is Lee Sapata, and he is with CertiPro Painters. Thank you for being, being here, Lee. Well, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure to have you. Tell us more about yourself and uh, your business. Well, CertiPro Painters, uh, part of the largest painting company in North America. We are a franchise, but we are all privately owned, uh, but nationally backed. Okay. That's kind of the way we like to describe it. Coast to coast, there's about 400 CertiPros, and... Um, Sorry about that. You're fine. Host of Coasters, about 400 Serta Pros, and again, the largest painting company in North America. Okay, great. And let's talk about your background, because your background is fascinating. I thought, and I forgot to um, order this, but I was hoping to have a t-shirt on when we did this that said it's not rocket surgery, because uh, obviously that's a reference to your background in, um, well, go ahead and tell us. Well, yeah, the, the common thing is, uh, the, the, especially with my kids, they love to throw at me, hey, Dad, this isn't rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm an aeronautical engineer. Yeah. I majored in jet rocket propulsion and minored in computer simulation. Now, that was a long time ago. Yeah. That was back when uh, Ronald Reagan was the president. And back in 86, when, when I graduated, the industry kind of went south. Um, just to give you a feel for it, my class size started at around 300 kids in engineering and of the 300 only 13 graduated and that's kind of the common path wow and then um and what school was that i was embry riddle aeronautical university oh okay i went to the daytona campus and typically um mcdonald douglas would come in back then and uh, pretty much hire everybody yeah and if if you're smart and, and and you're on top of things um we pretty much had a job and of the 13, there are two of us that didn't. We actually went back to the north. We were both from the northeast. We went back home for family reasons and uh, basically started anew. Okay. Can I get you to shift a little this way for me so I can sure. get you in the camera? Yeah, feel free to get comfortable. There you go. That's perfect. All right, good. So that's a fascinating background. When you say they came and pretty much hired everybody, it sounds like there was a demand for that type of work. Uh, and was that because the government was throwing all this money at these companies to co-develop this stuff or pretty much there was yeah. a lot of things going on. Um, but you know, again, the engineers would come on board. Some would continue their education and become rocket scientists. Yeah. And some would become project managers. Some would go into manufacturing for the industry. Um, it was interesting. Uh, it, it was very fascinating as I was, I was I, as I was going through the academic process. Um, but when the time came, you know, ultimately I started it because I wanted to be a shuttle pilot. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why I did it, was okay. to become a shuttle pilot. And back when I was in high school, your counselors would always say, well, do some research, find out what it's going to take, and uh, then make a decision. Yeah. Well, when I did my research... What I learned was that every shuttle pilot was an aeronautical engineer. And as a result, I said, well, then that's what I need to do is become an aeronautical engineer. What I didn't know were everything else that would would be required in yeah. order to become a shuttle pilot. That didn't happen until about my 
junior year. So you're already college. deep in it. Yeah. I was pretty deep in it. Yeah. And um, they, the invasion, about six months prior to the invasion of Grenada, um, the campus disappeared. 80% of the student body was in ROTC. Oh, wow. And they just disappeared and didn't know why, had no clue. Politically, there was not, nothing to suspect because there's nothing on TV. Yeah. Um, and then the invasions happened, you know. It was relatively quiet type of an invasion, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Yeah. Uh, eventually, everyone came back. And uh, it was about two semesters later. It was the end of the following semesters when everyone came back. Um, but still, nobody was talking. And it wasn't until, you know, I don't know, two or three months after that, after a couple of beers, uh, word started getting out. That's what, what had happened. And they had all been pulled out. They were all called to duty because of ROTC. They were in the guard, basically. Yeah. And then uh, they were called into duty and they were doing maneuvers in the Everglades, getting wow. ready for the invasion. Just War in games. case something happened, yeah. they would be prepared. Well, when they came back, there were a few guys said, well, Lee, you're, you stuck around. That meant you weren't part of ROTC. What are you doing? You know, why are you even an aeronautical engineer if you're not in the military? Yeah. And, uh, well, I started speaking to a recruiter who pretty much spelled it out for us. Um, hey, if you're going to be a shuttle pilot, do you know you have to be a pilot? Well, my vision, I have slightly myopic eyes, so it takes a little bit longer for my eyes to focus. Oh. So as a result of that, I couldn't be a pilot. I'd Ever. have to be a navigator. Wow. So I'd have to take a set, uh, you know, the back seat basically on a fighter, and I would be like, okay, so I do twenty years and I'm good to go. Not exactly. <laughs> you do twenty years and then you got to be a test pilot. Oh, so twenty years test pilot, I'm good to go. Well, there's a mortality rate kind of issue. What do you mean? Well, you're a test pilot, so oh, right. <laughs> sometimes you don't make it. Yeah. So what's the mortality rate? Oh, 30, 40%. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but if I give 20 years, test pilot, 30% chance of survival, then I become a pilot? No. What happens after that? Well, you kind of have to shake the right hand, kiss the right babies, and you have to be selected into NASA. Yeah. Oh, well, if I do those things, will I eventually become a pilot? No, not really. <laughs> Because if you do, then you have to go through mental tests and spiritual tests and physical tests, uh, and you have to pass them. Yeah. And then you're considered to become a shuttle pilot. So then I'll get to fly the shuttle? Maybe. Well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you then get placed on a team. And depending on the mission, they look for the teams with all the right skill sets to fulfill missions. Yeah. So if you're on, if you have the right skill sets and they need your skill sets, then you may fly the shuttle. Then you start practicing for that particular mission. And you may or may not get selected. You're on standby. I mean, there's plenty more exactly. astronauts, astronauts on standby that actually ever got on a, a flight, correct? Exactly. You mentioned so you may spend an entire lifetime to pursue a dream and never really accomplish it. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I knew a little bit about your background. I didn't know 80% of that. What what struck me was you. I would think the traditional path to being an astronaut would be a pilot, but no, you have to have all these academic credentials in aeronautics and engineering, and then maybe you'll become a pilot, and then may, all these all these maybe. So you saw the writing on the wall that it, it wasn't impossible, but, but the odds were pretty slim that you would be able to it re- at least manifest your dream in that specific version. So was that kind of a turning point for you in your life? At that point, I just decided I'm going to finish what I started. So I got my degree in aeronautical engineering, and I realized that once I, upon graduation, I was kind of a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. I had no, I really didn't have the heart. Yes, I did go back for family <coughs> reasons, but I also didn't have the heart to continue in the industry. Mm-hmm. So once I went back, well, I kept going to school. As a matter of fact, I didn't stop going to school till I was about 33. Wow. I went to school at night, um, had different jobs. Um, I went to uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology, and I was pursuing a degree in um, structural organizational behavior. Uh, but before I had a chance to finish, I was about five classes short of finishing. Um, I had a job offer with Brown Williamson Tobacco. Mm. As a matter of fact, they were headquartered here in Louisville. So I that's your connection to Louisville? And that was the beginning of my connection. Okay. It wasn't the actual connection, but it was the beginning. Okay. And it was actually where I basically fell in love with the city. Okay. Because I'd come in regularly for different trainings. And when I did, I'd explore. You know, I five o'clock we'd get out and I'd go to restaurants. I'd walk around town and basically fell in love with the city. And, uh, um, but that's where it all started. I became uh, a good corporate soldier. And in 26 years, as we were moved 13 times. And um, the cool thing about it is... Uh, we got to live in a lot of neat cities. And one, we actually were expats. We lived in Brazil for two years. Wow. Um, but we got to live in all these different places and kind of really embraced Louisville as the place that we wanted to live. Okay. Um, we had lived in four different states in, in the U.S. And uh, during that time, we, we had a kid in each state. And uh, again, the last place that we really enjoyed now that we lived in some great places that we probably wouldn't have mind of going to, uh, but Louisville was the place we wanted to call home. And you were originally from New Jersey, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, so you end up doing 26 years with Brown and Williamson. No, actually oh. I was only with them for, it was actually 12 calendar years. Okay. And uh, while I was, while I was with them, Learned some pretty interesting things. Okay. That. I was, it was big tobacco. Yeah. Um, but w- one of the skill sets I left with was uh, continuous improvement. Back then they called it re-engineering. Okay. Um, and, uh, Is there any Six Sigma involved in any of that? or? Well, that's what it eventually became. Okay. Ten years later, it was Six Sigma. And yes, I do have a green belt in continuous improvement. I got that at Villanova. Oh. And... Um, and when I moved to Macon, Georgia, for Brown and Williamson, I went back to school again. Go figure, right? Basically, yeah. it was the only kind of part of my life I really embraced, and didn't. I guess I didn't want to let go because it was the only stable part, with the exception of Liz, my wife. But um, I go to Macon and start up again. And in Macon, I was I went to Mercer University, and uh, oh, that's Macon, my, Georgia. Macon, Georgia. Okay, and got a, a degree in. An MBA in finance. So how many total degrees do you have? 
Well, total degrees, it's it's the engineering degree. Okay. Aeronautical Und- engineering undergraduate? Uh, undergrad. Okay. And then uh, graduate level was finance. And then several certifications and yeah. other continuing education credentials. Yeah. Okay. And how do you end up buying a painting company? <laughs> well, um, with all the moves and realizing that Louisville, Kentucky was the place I wanted to be, um, I was very fortunate along the way. Um, had a job offer from Brown Foreman, and uh, they brought me back to Louisville. A second time? A second time. A second stint with the company? Uh, no. Oh. The first was Brown and Williamson Oh, okay. Tobacco. Right, right. It was a different Brown. Okay. Brown Foreman yeah. brought me back to Louisville. Okay. At that point, we decided, hey, we don't want ever want to leave, regardless of what happens. Okay. And, uh, well, it came to the point where I had to make a decision, either I... There was no more. There was nothing else for me to do with Brown Foreman, so I either stay with Brown, uh, I either stay in Louisville, find something to do, or leave Louisville completely to continue my corporate life. Right, and you already decided you weren't moving again. And we decided we weren't moving again. So at that point, I had to find something that would allow me to stay. Did you work with like a franchise broker, or did you? As a matter of fact, I did. It was Franet. Oh yeah, uh, Tom Crimmins. Tom Crimmins. Yeah. Tom was the person who sat down with and after some tests and lots of discussion we decided that Certipro was the company that I was going to make happen yeah and uh, and it's been a blessing I mean it, it's allowed us to stay in Louisville and actually grow some roots all our kids Here, here's a funny thing um, three of the four kids went away to college and all of them swore up and down they would not come back to Louisville. Yeah. They had visions of living in other parts of the country. Yeah. All three of them are in Louisville today. Wow. And they are, you know, growing their roots here. We have a fourth. You know, he is actually going to Western Kentucky. In, in, that's uh, not LJ, right? No, that's Lucas. Okay. The youngest. The youngest. LJ okay. is the oldest. Okay. And uh, Lucas is going to Western. Now, we don't know. Uh, whether he's going to stay, we hope he does. But if he chooses not to, we're going to embrace and respect that decision. Yeah. Uh, but the other three said they weren't coming back, and they did. So obviously, the decision to to want to stay in Louisville was a good one because the rest of the family also agreed. And it's a pretty good place to live. You have a lot of the conveniences of larger cities without the popula- or the population, the pollution, the traffic. Right. The cost of living is outstanding. Well, it is now. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen in a couple of months. But yeah, yeah it, is, it is a great place. To go and let's to. give a quick plug for Tom Crimmins. I know he sold the company recently. Do you know the person? It's a female. I can't remember her name. I, Amanda. Is it Amanda Berry? That sounds very. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Let's give a plug for them. Fran that Tom Crimmins was around forever. Did a great job. Obviously. He's actually still around. Okay. And he's working with an organization that helps people. Find resources in order to start their business. The score, is it? yes, it is. It's okay. score. Yeah. He is. He's. Uh, he. I believe he's volunteering his time to help people through the score organization. And score is a great organization. They've advised me different points in my business journey and heard great things about them. They're well represented. And one of the things that always impressed me about them is they find impressive people who've been successful. They don't take everybody who comes on and says, "Hey, I want to join score." They're selective. You can tell that. Mm-hmm. and the caliber of the people they have working for them. So that's great. We'll give them a plug. So a plug for FranNet and a plug for, for, score. for SCORE. Yeah. And so you've decided Louisville's where you want to be. 
you shopped probably a lot of different ideas from a franchise standpoint. And you ended up, did, did you end up at painting and then chose Serta Pro or was it painting bit because you chose Serta Pro? Which one? It was <clears throat> painting because of Serta Pro. Okay. So you were impressed with their organization and their track record and their elaborate on that. Um, what was just that? Now, to be honest with you, going through high school and college, my dad was a painter. So I worked with my dad uh, in painting. Mm -hmm. And so I guess you can say, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Mm -hmm. But that is what happened. I was my summers I'd spend working. I did that for two different summers. And then I had a friend who worked at a, a tannery. What's a tannery? Like leather? Leather. Okay. Where uh, basically trucks come in filled with hides with still chunks of meat. And yeah. And they process it for leather working? And we would process it. Now, what they'd give the summer kids, um, they had a, a piece of, of equipment called a shaver. Okay. Which is just that. They'd flatten it on this conveyor. And as it would go through this machine, it would shave the fat and the chunks of meat that were still on the hide off of it. Wow. Before, they would put in vats with lime and other chemicals yeah. to start the process. But really, the shaving of it, that first shave, was the initial process. Well, how did that affect us? Well, those chunks would fall into a pit. And that pit would have to get cleaned out. Okay. Now, yes, there were conveyors that would take the chunks away and put them in containers where it would get melted you know the renderings would get melted off and they'd sell that as collagen and i mean everything was try they tried to take everything and make it worth something but at the end of the day there were chunks of stuff that would fall off that conveyor and be at the bottom of the pit and i mean that chunks of meat they were, they were just i mean dead meat did you wear a mask was that a hazardous environment after or? a while that odor was in your lungs. You'd get yeah. home, you'd breathe, <laughs> and you could still taste yeah. the putrid dead meat. Yeah. yeah, It was disgusting. I mean, you you wanted to shower every day to get that off your skin. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'd have to go into those pits with boots on and shovel it out. And after it was shoveled and cleaned, which, I mean, it would take a while to, to dig out a pit, yeah. then they had to get painted. Wow. Was this leftover out there processing the product for meat or was that a totally different? No, no, this wasn't a meat processing plant. This is a plant that just processed the hides. What I meant was to turn they... them into leather. The majority of the, of the product that left went to the car industry for leather seats. Okay. Maybe a little more specific. What I meant was did when they kill the cow, do they take parts of it and make meat out of it and parts of it and make leather or is that just a totally different? No, totally different. Okay. This okay. is they. The, the, when the cow was slaughtered, then the cow was skinned. The skinned part is what got goes to you. News. Okay, okay. So, Interesting. I drive by the old neighborhood and that uh, that plant every yeah. now and then. Every time I go back to Jersey, they don't longer exist. But you can still smell it. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I get. Yeah, you You're can't. Re, you can't stop the memories. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, You've heard the phrase, everybody's heard, uh, uh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made, right? Right. Now we can say you don't want to know how the leather was made either, right? No. no. <laughs> how I did, mean, it wasn't a bad process. It was just that initial process, you know, I mean. Yeah. And how old were you when you did that? I was 20. Okay. Were you painting also? or you used to... Well, yes. At the Once you've cleaned out the pit and you 
you took care of disinfecting and do well yeah then we would paint it but that would in less than a day you know you give 20 kids brushes and rollers yeah in less than a day you got lots of paint drippings everywhere yeah it's not like my current cruise but it got done and the people who worked there had a, would always have a good laugh with us I heard a presentation from a painter two days ago and he was talking about his dad also had a painting business. And back then his dad basically did everything wrong from a business standpoint. And he said, this was before mad mothers against drunk drivers. He said he would go to work with his dad's crews and they would be drinking before work on lunch and then on the way home. And he was talking about how he decided at a certain point after he saw enough of that he was going to do the exact opposite of what his dad did. And he was going to create a painting company where the crews were clean. They were drug tested. They were vetted. They were held accountable. If you want to drink, that's on your own hours. You're not doing it before, during, or, you know, on your shift. And he said that uh, that was very motivating for him. And he said it was easy to be successful because his dad literally gave him a blueprint of exactly what not to do in every single category. Can you talk about your experience with your father and, and, being a painter yourself, uh, learning the business from the inside out and how that yeah, impacts how you run your business today? Well, yeah, a lot of it was just kind of, you know, you, well, yes. I mean, there's no way that you, you, you live through those experiences and not take something with you. Um, you know, properly preparing surfaces, uh, when to use, what to use on metal surfaces, what to use on wall surfaces, what... Yes, I learned a lot of that, you know, how to properly hold a brush, what types of brushes to use, what not to do, when to use a roller, when to use a brush. Uh, back then, it was all rollers and brushes. You know, we didn't get the luxury of a, a spray machine. Yeah. Um, it, it, a lot of it was discipline. It was kind of really the biggest thing I walked away with was having the, the learning how important discipline was and being methodical. Hey, it's preparation. You got to do this. Then you do this. Then you get to here. Once you get to this point, you don't start unless you have enough time because you have so much pot life in that product. So it was all about the discipline and mythology. And, you know, methodology. And I walk away and today I see myself using, even though I may not be picking up the brush and roller the way I did back then, it's all about being tenacious and persistent and methodical about what I do day in and day out. And that's probably been the reason, the biggest reason why I have been successful is just persistence and tenacity. Yeah. I tell people, hopefully there's three things they'll say about me in order of importance after they know me. The first one, the most important one is that I'm kind. That's very important to me. Uh, the second one is that I'm curious. And the third one is that I'm persistent. So when people ask me, how'd you become successful? Most importantly, kindness, but pragmatically in a practical sense, curiosity and persistence and those things i'm just genuinely curious about uh, lots of subjects i'm genuinely curious about what people think and why they think it what they believe and why they believe it did the you mentioned specifically method um having a methodical approach from being disciplined a couple times did that also prepare you for or enhance your academic path too well i'm also a product of a catholic boys high school oh okay so while I was going through high school, there are a lot of chores around the house. And mm -hmm. the funny thing, the ones I remember most are the painting ones. Yeah. Because I, I know I didn't care for it. Yeah. Until <laughs> I know I personally didn't want, like painting. And I remember having to paint fences. And, you know, sounds like a, it sounds a lot like Huck Finn, right? 
painting yeah. out there with his painting that whitewash fence. Yeah. Um, or Daniel and Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there were, you're right. <laughs> it's funny you're referencing those movies because now I think back when I watched them, thinking about how I spent my summers. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, a lot of it was all about the discipline. But I th think when it comes down to the hard work and hanging in there, the long nights, that was definitely high school and going through that Catholic school discipline that kind of became it. Then it, then it became ingrained, you know, there was a part that was kind of on the weekends with dad and me trying to get out of it. And then the school part, I had to do this and I had to stay up late, and get it right. And the cramming and, you know, you come out a product of those experiences. There's no way you live your life and not be disciplined or persistent or tenacious at what you do. Yeah. And if you fail at something, it's okay, but don't walk away not learning something. You always have to learn something from that experience so you don't make the same mistake yeah. again. You know, you mentioned um, your kindness, your curiosity, your persistence, and those being the three things. I don't think I've ever known uh, an entrepreneur who wasn't successful by not having to apply those factors. Oh, that's a great lesson. I mean, I mean, you think about it. Everything we do, it's like all the sleepless nights. You're up late getting things done, getting paperwork done. Think about how you're going to complete a project, what steps we need to do to make sure it gets done right. Or make payroll. Or make payroll. <laughs> that's a big one. Or a problem in the ranks, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day... Yes. Yeah, I mean, you start the process, and you're a one-man show, yeah. right? You're, you're pretty, you pretty much wear all the hats. Um, and it beats the living out of you, you know? Mm -hmm. But you don't give up. But eventually, you let go, and you start hiring people and trusting people to do what you did. Um, and then as that's happening, and, you're, and the crews grow, and the number of people working for you, and everybody's involved, life happens. And life affects different people in different ways. And excuse my language, but shit happens. Mm -hmm. And then the kindness, the kindness has to step in. You know, you can't be that hardcore disciplinarian. You know, you've got to be considerate to them. You got to respect what they're going through. And some of the things that happen are tear jerking. I mean, you, there's no way you, you come out of it unscathed. You're going to get emotional. It affects you. And um, you do everything you can to help them out. Um, but again, after you share those, those three things, I, I don't see how any entrepreneur can be successful without applying. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's encouraging. Cause I talked to some people, guests on this podcast actually have told me that, well, that hasn't been their experience. They've met a lot of people who take shortcuts and have no integrity and all that. And it's, I, I was surprised to hear that because the vast majority of the people I've met that have been successful have high levels of integrity and character, discipline, work ethic, all that. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, trusting other people. One thing before we touch on that, don't worry about cursing. I'm a big believer in free speech. I don't censor people. <laughs> Unless you're coming on here threatening to kill somebody or yell fire in a crowded theater, the t typical two exceptions to free speech, I, I don't censor people. I'm a big believer in, in free speech. And uh, I think uh, the world would be a better place if we sat down across from somebody, even if we disagreed with them passionately and had a conversation to hurt each other out we can learn from each other. So that's a little off topic, but I'll get, I'll get back to some, something you mentioned that really stuck with me. 
and it, it relates to me personally right now, is you're wearing all the hats early on, and it's a very personal thing to you at that point. The buck stops with you, your sales, your marketing, your accounting, your bookkeeping, your labor, your uh, managing personalities and your workforce and all that. To hand any of those hats off to someone else is a big deal. I mean, that's your baby, and no one's ever going to do it the exact way you do, right? Can you talk about that process and how you have to adapt to the person you're handing the hat to, to their style, to a little bit? And uh, because you, you can never reach that next level of success if you can't delegate some of that stuff. Can you talk about that process? Um, yeah, sure. Um, you know, as you meet people and as you hire people and they come on board and you learn about them and their family and what I've learned probably more recently than early on, I made a ton of mistakes. And uh, while I was making those mistakes, I've always tried to learn something. But there was a point there that it seemed as though it didn't matter what I did. There was always a mistake. And you, and you kind of get, you feel like you're being beat up, you know. Mm-hmm. You're just mentally, you're exhausted. And, and you start asking yourself, well, why am I doing this to myself? Or, you know, what am I doing wrong? There's an, I, I don't, I'm not doing anything right. And you become super critical of yourself. And um, I actually had somebody who, who said, Lee, it sounds like you, your problem is you don't trust anybody. Uh, literally, I mean, that's exactly what he said to me. I said, you know, Shauna, I can't grow. It doesn't matter who I hire. Um, I'm just, I can't find the right people. And he goes, well, how can you say that? This is a big city. We've got a lot of people here. We hire people all the time. I was like, and then he just turned around and said, Lee, I think your problem is you don't trust anybody. Get that it's your business, but you're going to have to trust somebody, or else you'll never be able to grow. Yeah, it stuck with me a long time, a really long time, and um, then we had this one particular person who came on board, and she's still with me today, and she's been incredible. Um, she started off at just part time basis in uh, helping us with bookkeeping, and during that period, she learned a lot about our business, and. Um, as, uh, as she learned, she learned a lot about those people who were working for us. And there's one particular time this one person um, wasn't, just basically wasn't doing their job right. And uh, it was hurting us in a big way. And it was affecting the way customers were perceiving us. And she kind of turned around and said, um, you know, Leah, I know I'm a bookkeeper, but uh, would you give me a shot at that job? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I think I can do it better. I think I, I know the job, and I think I can do it better than that person's doing it. And what was that title again? Uh, the job she's referring to? The salesperson. Salesperson, okay. A residential sales associate. We refer to them as RSAs. And she goes, I could do that job better. And, of course, because she worked with me in the books, as a matter of fact, she helped me create budgets for the following year. So she, she understood. So she knew what the person person was getting paid she understood how they got paid what what the the model was for for commissions and how she'd get paid and so at that point i realized i gotta give her a shot i mean anybody would have the gumption to look you right in the eye and say i want that job that's brave how can you not give them that job they're either going to be successful or fall on their face right because they underestimated it or they're onto something right right Yeah, yeah and really at that moment it hit me uh, you know, and and 
I've replayed that tape over and over in my head. Yeah. And what it came down to is at that moment, I trusted her. Uh, because for 18 months, she was working on the books and she, she was really good at it. She earned that trust. She, she had earned that trust. And, and, I, and then I step back and I think to myself, well, why is it that I've never been successful hiring anybody? But what was the thing, the one thing that at that moment in time I said, sure, the job's yours. Literally, there's no interview process. Yeah. The job's yours. It was trust. Huh. And then, of course, because I do this, because this is the way I'm wired, I rewind that tape in my head, and I remember Sean, I, I, and he did to me countless times. I mean, we'd sit there and have a beer or a bourbon or something. He said, Lee, your problem is you don't trust anybody. And here we have it. The first person who's extremely successful in our business, the one thing that I said, yes, I will hire you on the spot, was because I trusted her. Wow. And to this very day, she's still with us. She's, she's gotten more and more successful the longer she's been with us. Um, as a matter of fact, her daughter now works for us. Okay. Um, and she's been very successful. You know, been, daughter too, been, also in sales? Uh, no, she's oh. not in sales. Okay. She doesn't. She's not interested in sales. Okay. Uh, she's our office manager, and she's really interested in pursuing production. Oh. Um, so she's going to go into the production management side of things. Running crews, essentially? Running crews. Fitting jobs, that kind of thing? Or? No, just running crews. Okay. Uh, Vicky would sail jobs. and That's Josie, the fitting part. Okay. And Josie would run crews. And uh, and she's, she's only been with us a couple of months. I'm like, Josie, you've sat in the office while we're trying to noodle out who's getting assigned to what. And you, you're on the receiving side of all the calls, good or bad. You're getting them all. Yeah. Why on earth would you want to do that to yourself? She's like, Sounds interesting. It's project management. Why wouldn't I want to manage projects? It's interesting to me. Yeah. Okay. You want the shot at it? It's yours. And so the lesson is you finally trusted someone. Well, they earned that trust, and then you reciprocated what they earned. Right. And it turned out to be, and that was, it sounds like that was a turning point for you. Yeah, it's, with with Vicky, I realized that that trust piece was a big thing. And that what Sean has always been advising me, that I had a problem with trust, is absolutely true. Yeah. I had a problem letting go, trusting somebody enough to let go of that responsibility and give it to somebody else. Yeah. Once I had that trust, well, it, things changed. Like, yeah. here, here's another example. Same same concept. Um was one of the jobs in between Brown and Williamson and Brown Foreman was General Mills. Oh. And while I was with General Mills, we bought Pillsbury. And this is the one that brought me to Louisville the first time. Okay. Well, Pillsbury's on Grant Line Road. They still there? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. But they were on Grant Line Road in New Albany. Across the bridge. And that is what brought me to Louisville. Okay. I had left tobacco, right? I was with General Mills in Atlanta at the Covington plant where they made Cheerios. They had bought Pillsbury, and the flagship facility for Pillsbury at the time was New Albany. Okay. They made all the biscuits, and they made all the cookies, all the chocolate chip cookies. Actually, they made all the pie crusts at the time, all the pie crusts uh, for Pillsbury. Okay. And uh, the funny thing is when, when the purchase happened, they had brought all the engineers into a room, and they said, hey, we want to kind of, there's an interest to cross-pollinate. We need to send people from General Mills plants to Pillsbury plants. Is there an interest? And we have different facilities, but 
in New Albany. And uh, they made the offer, and there's no takers. I was like, how do you get to New Albany? Well, you fly into Louisville, and yeah. you drive across the river. Yeah. Oh. That's oh. already appealing. Yeah. Well, that's all they had to say to me, right? Because yeah. I had fallen in love with the city when I was with Brown and Williamson. Yeah. So when they said, you fly into Louisville, and it's literally just across the river, it's like, I like that. Are we I talking like late Louisville. 90s at this point or early 2000s? This was uh, 90, oh, okay, no, it was uh, 2000. 2000. It was okay. actually 2002. Okay. I came into New Albany. I came, worked in New Albany, lived in Louisville. And, um, but the experience is this, back to the trust piece. At the time, there was a gentleman who worked for me on second shift, Tom. He, uh, he was our shift manager. And he had all the mechanics, all the electricians, all the ammonia experts, because we had an ammonia refrigeration system in the plant. And he pretty much ran the plant technically on second shift. Not an easy job to do. Yeah. Um, a lot of hazardous materials and dangerous processes and people to protect, right? Yeah. And basically, yeah, he, he protected all the assets from people to, to equipment. Sure. Um, and I never forgot Tom, of course. I mean, out of everyone I had, Tom, Tom did some pretty amazing things. And uh, the funny thing is, when I came back the second time, and then I bought the business, you know, Tom actually, we paint, I painted for Tom. I had a oh. crew over at his house, painted for Tom. And uh, we kind of stayed in contact. And I always would joke with him, hey, if you need a job, give me a call. How could I not? I mean. Sure. And. Uh, not expecting him to call you, right? Just exactly. throwing it out there. Exactly. And about, I don't know, three years ago. Um, he called me on a project. I was like, what are you doing? And he told me, it's like, well, wait a minute, you changed jobs. Why didn't you call me? And at the time I was thinking about, hey, I need help growing. And when, when, when the growth spurt happens, and I was expecting it to happen much sooner, um, I would need help with production. Would you be interested? He said, yeah. And so that went on for a good three years. Okay. And then finally... Recently, this past December, he said, Lee, I'm ready. Oh. And um, again, as a matter of fact, back to the trust piece. He called me, I don't know, June or July of last year. And he goes, Lee, I'm almost there. But I got somebody who would be better than me in the sales role. Well, that takes some integrity. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. Would you consider? I go, absolutely. If you're telling me... She, Sure, why wouldn't I? Yeah. And uh, hired her. And sure enough, Janet has been extremely successful, commercial sales. Right? Yeah. Tom eventually came in December, six months later, and also very successful in production. To the point, now, I have a tendency, once I trust and get the fact you got it, I'm going to leave you alone and do your job. Yeah, do get your out job. of your way. Yeah. Um, I very much, I'm autonomous, and I really enjoy being surrounded by autonomous people. Um, I really don't want to get into the minutiae, the details. Not that the details don't matter. They do very much so. But when I get that people know what they're doing and I can trust them with the minutiae, for heaven's sakes, you could have all the minutiae you want. Yeah. I'll stay out of your hair. And, and I do with Tom. And, and I know that it drives him a little nuts. Because he's never done, he's done what he's doing for probably forever, 
yeah. you know, organizing, managing teams of people, motivating people to do the right thing, uh, doing things to spec, you know, very detail oriented, and uh, which isn't really a personal strength of mine. But knowing that he's capable of doing it, I pretty much cut him loose on it. And sure enough, he's knocking it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for me not to have expected that from him because he did it for me 20 years ago. Sure. But you see, you see here, it's, I realized 20 years, he, we worked together for two years. And during that two year period, he earned my trust. Yeah. Well, 20 years later, it's the same person, the same character, you know, basic fundamentals. Plug him in. Just drop and play. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I know it, I've, I've made Tom very nervous recently because he, he's expecting more, um, uh, more direction from me. Or scrutiny, looking over his shoulder. And I, and I sat there. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's all he knows. And the thing is, 20 years ago, before I learned my lesson about trusting people, I was probably the guy he expected me to behave, mm -hmm. you know, micromanaging. And it wasn't as much micromanaging as knowing, hey, I need, I need, I need these people to hit certain milestones yeah. and get certain things accomplished. You know, it's easier now, you know, you look back. Yeah. And you say, wow, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done this different. You live and you learn. Now I look back and it's like, okay, he was a rock star then. And I was probably just a horrible, horrible manager. <laughs> as a matter of fact, managing people is not a strength for me. Yeah. It's just not what I do. Yeah. And now I got Tom kind of expecting more of all the itty bitty details that I'd work endless hours through the night to create lists or, and I try to download everything on him back then to make sure he'd get it all done. At the end of the day, he did a spectacular job. Then he's doing a spectacular job. Now the difference is my letting go, yeah. allowing people to do their jobs. Once I can trust that they're going to do it right. Well, Tom had my trust 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, and you admired him, too, because he was so good at what he did and how he did it. There's a couple things I want to mention. That was a really, really co compelling story on your part. Thanks for sharing that. I wanted to mention a couple of th things that came to mind when you were talking about that. The first one is, we talked earlier, like I have a problem letting go of the bookkeeping, accounting, payroll part of my business. I know I should, but I just I do it on a spreadsheet that I created, and it's evolved into multiple iterations over the 18 years I've been doing this. Are you looking for advice? Uh, maybe. All right. Yeah, you know you know what the worst vice is, right? No. Advice? Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, getting back to that, um, one thing that, uh, that I thought of when you were talking about that, when you hand it off to someone else, you have to accept they're not going to do it exactly the way you do, okay? That's the bad part. But the good part is they might do it a way you didn't think of, right? right? They might exactly. bring a whole new perspective. So there's not just the, oh, gosh, I have to let go of this and so-and-so. They might do a good job. They it might be a good thing. They might bring a different perspective or a different approach, something, you, you know, blind spot. We all have blind spots, right? So that was one thing I, I, um, I, I thought I of. I think the key piece, if I may. Of course. Is this is a dialogue. accepting that the results may be what you're looking for. The only difference is they got there on a different path. Right. And understanding and appreciating that that's okay mm -hmm. is really the key. And not just okay, it could be a good thing. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. It could be head and shoulders above and beyond. 
I mean, because I keep doing that. I know I keep mentioning, hey, I rewind those tapes in my head. You know, I can't tell you how many times in the past three months that I would rewind a tape in my head and say to myself, I would have never done it that way. Mm -hmm. And then I I find myself asking myself questions in my head. You know, you find yourself talking to yourself a lot when you own a business, right? Especially when you're driving in that car trying to get from A to B. Yeah. I refer to it as windshield time. You got okay. a ton of windshield time. And the thoughts don't stop in And your they mind. don't. They yeah. don't. Same here. And, and I sit there and it's like, now why on earth, why on earth did I do it the way I did it? Why didn't I think of doing it that way, the way Tom did it or the way Vicky did it? And I sit there and say, well, it's because we're different people. You know, we've lived our lives and in such a way that we've had different experiences. So then we see life and, different filters, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what causes us to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And being able to trust and appreciate those different ways. And again, accepting the fact there's nothing wrong with this path or that path. It's just different. Mm -hmm. You know, and then, and then if you really drill down on that during that windshield time that I always rewind those tapes, you can almost, if you are capable of identifying the differences, you can almost get to the point where you can define the gaps. It was like, you're getting learnings from it. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like, wow, I never thought of that. And you know, not only is that a better way of doing it, but then if you couple it with the way the other, I mean, it's just complimentary. Yes. You just, at least for me, the experience has just been mind blowing. Yeah. It's like, wow, I've been, beating myself up, doing this this way for the past 10 years, the stress I could have relieved my life of. Yeah. If I would have just done it, figured that out 10 years ago. That dovetails into something I was going to mention nicely too. You have to have a certain peace of mind that's unique now, right? Handing these things off to these people, trusting they'll do it, you know, do the job satisfactorily, not necessarily the way you would do it, but they get to the same result. You, you've got to sleep a little better at night and have a certain peace of mind now compared to the past, letting go of that, right? Yeah, I probably wouldn't be as fat, old, and gray as I am today if I had. <laughs> but okay. yeah, um, you know the biggest ones? Uh, I remember leaving for vacations. I would leave. Physically, I wasn't there. Right. But besides my physical person being not there, yeah. Every other part of me was still there. Yeah. Now I go and those that know, which is pretty much the entire group, will look at me and say, hey, go on vacation. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We got it. What a nice feeling. And I honestly, as I'm leaving, I've got a little grin on my face. And I'm like, I know you do. I get it. You do have it. An actual vacation. Yes. Yeah. And there are times, you know, I... There are times the phone rings and I pick it up and I don't have a problem answering. You know, right. I'm going to help them out. Um, nine times out of ten, they know the answer. Yeah. It's almost as though they just check in the box to make sure that I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I really respect the heck out of that. Sure. But even when I hang up, you know, after, hey, nice job. What you're doing is exactly what I think I would have done anyway. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll even play with it a little bit and say, well, what do you think, or would you do anything differently? Because at that point, I'm just curious. Yeah, I want to hear what they're going to do differently. Because in that, I'll pick something up and learn. Um, it, it's gratifying. It, it's um, 
but just being able to get away and truly get away and mm-hmm. disconnect is probably the biggest benefit of all of being able to trust and allow people to be themselves and do it differently and accept the reason that you know embrace the differences and you've probably added quality years to your life by letting yeah. go of that right yeah yeah um <clears throat> you know you mentioned about the uh the accounting pieces and you know um when i started back in 2000 you know 12 years ago and uh i do have a degree in finance right? that doesn't surprise me but um i, I could i could manage and manipulate a spreadsheet just as good as the next guy. Um, but the truth of the matter is I didn't want to dig into the minutia, right? I don't want to do that deep dive. I don't want to know exactly what's going on in cell B13, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to see the bigger picture. Um, I kind of dragged my wife into that role. Okay. Right? And to this very day, if you were to start a conversation with you, she'll go on a rant on how she was only supposed to do a few checks every now and then in this business. And that's the only time it would require of her and how she stuck spending countless days and nights getting things done in preparation for reports and monthly reports that are due or our business plan that's due. My advice is, Hey, hire yourself somebody that has that in their wheelhouse, a strong CPA, hand that off to them, you know, Recruiting, finding people, trust that someone else can find someone better than you mm. to do these jobs and hand that off to them. Yeah. And you focus, you know, and, and what you would, should embrace is what you're better at. And, you know, the funny thing is now, 12 years later, I actually enjoy my role better than what my role was 20 years, 12 years ago. You know, now I find myself learning how to lead enter and develop people which i'm learning hey i'm not the greatest but i don't mind doing this at all you know is that your favorite part of it besides the obvious being successful and making a nice living providing for your family what's the most rewarding part of what you do uh now it is working with the bigger group and we we've been um i don't know if you've read track i know you read a lot of books you're into lots of different topics. There's a particular book called Traction. I have not. Um, and it's all about building infrastructure. Um, <clears throat> the ones that led into it was Patrick Lenciani about uh, ideal team players. I've heard that topic. Yeah, and he's got quite a few books that all feed into that topic. But an offshoot, a derivative from the Traction book was one called Rocket Fuel. Okay. And um, that's the one that really has made a difference for me. And then I, I had a little bit of help from a gentleman by the name of Michael Hall. Yeah, he was and on last week. Was he? Yeah, you should listen, it was great. Well, Mike, as you know, he does cultural index. He's not allowed to mention that. Oh, he isn't? He's, the terms of his agreement is he's an uh, executive consultant specializing in uh, human learning or human behavior or something like that. Yeah, we wow. had to... <laughs> you know... It's funny, you, you've described it, yeah, and I'm listening to you, and yes, that is what he does. Right. I don't call it that at all. Yeah. The man is a dotologist. He, he, he's perf- he is a professional dotologist. He specializes in reading dots. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that means, well, that's a whole different 
Listen to episode five. It's a whole different program, and it's one you may want to dig into. But what he what what he helped me with was understanding and appreciating different personal or personality traits and behaviors, mm-hmm. and that having a better understanding of that has helped me tremendously with my current team and having the confidence of moving forward and hiring more people. Yeah. You know, it's, I I know you've heard the expression, you know, Hey, let's get the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. Right person, right seat. Exactly. That is what, what I refer to as dots Mm -hmm. or what Mike so eloquently described to you. Um, It's, Hey, let's get the right people on the bus. But once you get there, let's find the right seat for them. Yeah. And it and and just take it a step further. If you allow them to do what they enjoy doing or what they're passionate about, that passion becomes the organization's passion. Mm. And when you have several people in the organization or a little bit of everyone having that passion, exhibiting that passion. Rowing in the same direction. It it's exciting. Yeah, and you can do things you couldn't do before when you had that tight grip on everything. Right. That's a that's very eloquent. I wanted to talk about Mike. Another example Mike gave, he mentioned how um, some bosses get on this trip of giving recognition, and that's a good thing, right? P- people want to be recognized. One thing he learned by working with a certain company is introverts don't want public recognition. No. It terrifies them. You no. would think that you know you have like a an awards banquet once a month for your team, and you say, you know, Joey, you did great. Come on up here and. That is the worst possible oh. thing that could happen to them. They want private recognition. They want to have a one-on-one. You sit next to them and say, hey, you're doing great. You know, they don't want their name on the wall. They don't want yeah. the employee of the month parking spot. I thought that Do was you know, really interesting. Um, remember the person I told you about that asked for a particular job. Mm-hmm. Um, her first year, she had a stellar year. Right? We went off to conference, and I had no clue. Um. That she did Sir a pro, job? No, no. Oh, I knew she did a great that, job. Of course. You're I a knew she did guy. a great job. Yeah, yeah. That, that was without. Yeah. Uh, but we get down there. And I did what I did with regards to starting a business. Well, one, I don't want to leave Louisville. That was the number one objective. But two, I needed to figure out. I didn't want to go back into a corporate culture. At the end of the day, I didn't want to do that. Soon after that, I realized, well, heck, I'm going to build my own culture. Right? down the road i meet mike and that's what i'm doing ultimately that's what i'm doing i'm trusting people i'm finding learning their passion putting them in the right seat mm-hmm. i'm going to build a culture that hey 59 I'm, i got a kid who's going into college if if i know that i'm going to have to work at least 10 to 11 more years i might as well wake up in the morning and go do something i love doing enthusiasm right yeah. i gotta do that if i'm going to survive those next 11 to 12 years mm-hmm. So I realized that, hey, CertaPro, which is a great organization to be a part of, they're trying to build a corporate culture. And they have all these awards, right? And it is, I mean, it's contagious, right? But it was something until now. I was like, I I don't want to be part of this. I'm not doing this for the awards. I'm doing this for my family's success. Right. So now fast forward. We're at this conference. Vicky had a phenomenal year for her rookie years, knocked it out of the park. Grand slam. And I'm sitting there and the speakers, I'm sitting at a round table, right? Vicky and Chris, her husband, 
sitting across from me, paying attention to the speaker behind me. And they're naming off awards, and they named Vicky's name. I started screaming. I started clapping and making all this hoopla, right? Yeah. And I looked, and her reaction wasn't the greatest. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was your first hint? I No, I didn't get it. Oh, okay. I didn't get it. So I was like, get up there. Get up there. Yeah, I get your recognition. Mistake number two. Yeah. That's <laughs> your name. And then I was encouraging her to go do something she didn't want to do. Yeah. Right? So then I turn around. And she's, and we were, I don't know, three tables away from the podium. Yeah. And there's a little stage there. And uh, there were like, there's one or two other people up there with, uh, with Vicky. And I stand up and the people around me stand up. Mistake number three. I start saying, get up on the stage. So let's fast forward now. I did those things. I thought, it was great recognition, right? Yeah. What could go wrong? It was the corporate blood in me, right? Yeah. It was still in me. Yeah. Because that's what you do in corporate America. Right? Cookie cutter, one size. So let's forward, on. fast forward with Michael, Michael Hall. Yeah. He starts describing the dots, specifically for Vicky. And we do that a lot. Now we do it, and it's a lot of fun. And there's, we jest about it in the office. We're open about our dots. We refer to them as our dots. And he starts describing Vicky's dots. And there's a portion of his talk with me that day starts. And this is how you, well, better yet, Lee, let me tell you how you don't recognize Vicky. You do not name her publicly. Yeah. You do not make her stand in front of a crowd. You do not put the limelight on her. And I'm thinking to myself, all of a sudden, remember I told you how I rewind the tapes in my head? Yeah. Real quick, when he said, you do not recognize her in public, my, my brain just right to that conference. You do not. It was like every you do nots, I did yeah. that night. Yeah. I felt so bad. I, um, I called her, and I apologized. I can tell this is emotional for yeah. you. Yeah, it, it was rough. It hit you. And um, wow. so I was talking with her. I said, Vicki, I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, I just realized I was talking to Mike, and he told me um, what I shouldn't have done. And I realized that night at the conference for Serta Pro, um, I put you on the spot. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And she said, uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy that. And then she went on and um, she said, it's okay. She said, I, I don't mind, but I appreciate you recognizing that. Yeah. So it was a great lesson because everything Mike said not to do that I realized I did. Later, I admitted to Vicky that I did and that I realized it was wrong. She basically recognize Mike and yeah, I didn't care for that. Yeah. Don't like to be done that way. And now I know in the future, because I know there'll be more awards she'll win. Yeah. Because she, every year she does better than the previous year. Uh, the next time we're at conference, I'm going to check yeah. to make sure whether she has or hasn't. And I know she will. And I'm going to go speak to that person and say, yeah. do not mention her name. Now, how do you recognize her now? What's her preferred form of recognition? Her paycheck, well, or is it? No, no, no. Okay. It's not the paycheck at all. It's it's more. Hey, nice job. It's it's individual. Individual. Okay. If it's done publicly, it's not in a specific Vicky 
you know, you don't name Vicky specifically. Say, right. Great job in front of everybody. Yeah. Hey, team, we did a great job in accomplishing this. Yeah. And, and Vicky, we really appreciate your support in this effort. You know, it's more of a we and not. That was my next question because Mike said those people typically in lieu of individual or in lieu of like public, uh, a large scale uh, recognition. They prefer either individual one-on-one recognition or being recognized as part of a team. Did that apply to her specifically? Yeah. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And then again, being who I am, rewinding tapes in my head, I start quickly thinking about, all right, whose whose life have I messed up the past ten years? Mm. You know, with that corporate mindset. You know, the person that I was being, who by the way I didn't want to be because that's not the that's not the culture I wanted in my business, but I was just being that person by default. The very thing you set out not to do. I was doing. Yeah. And I think uh, we can all relate to that. <laughs> and then here I am rewinding, okay, you know, who who quit? Why did they really quit? Yeah. You know, uh, who did I upset? You know, I'm, I'm thinking of every event, everything that I thought was good. I was like, oh my God, this person didn't care for that at all. And, Oh my God! I wonder how they felt when when I did that to them. Yeah, um, it, it's been a rude awakening. Yeah, and you know, again, Mister Dotologist, I was Michael a, Hall, by the way, Cultural let's, Index. Let's plug him. Absolutely, Mike's great. Uh, listen to episode five, by the way. Shameless plug for us: we're on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook. Check us out. The episode with Michael Hall was uh, my favorite at the time. This might be my new favorite. Um, reason I mention that is. I was touched by that moment you just had. You got emotional talking about her, and it really impacted you that you might have embarrassed her or you might have made her feel uncomfortable. You care about these people. You recognize you recognize what they're doing for you in this biz- business and how that directly relates to your life, your ability to care for your family. You've got children you want to see be successful and get educated and everything. I think that's a nice transition to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which would be the size of your team, and um, what what makes Serta Pro different? Obviously, you're, these people are invested in your success. You're invested in their success. This isn't just a office where we all show up and do our work, and then we don't talk to each other afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Can you mm-hmm. talk about that personal relationship you have with your staff and ultimately your customers, and how that would reflect itself in the quality of the job you do and the product you offer your customers? Oh, absolutely. Um, it comes. Ultimately, it comes right down to just simply caring. Caring about those we serve. Caring about those who work for us. Caring about those who are managing the projects. Caring about what we do day to day. Right? We're just... I know at BNI, the joke in there has been, hey, we just don't slap it on. Mm-hmm. And I know I've taken it, but at the, <clears throat> at the heart of things, it's true. It's just not... It, I mean, to slap it, slapping it on would, would, would kind of, slapping it on would just kind of reflect not caring at all. Mm-hmm. And as simple as the task of painting may sound, it truly is personal. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you wanted me to paint your kitchen, right, um, I'm coming into your home, right? This is your home. Very personal. It's not your backyard, which is still your home, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it, this is your kitchen. This is where your family prepares meals. The This is where the birthdays start, those birthday parties, right? Mm-hmm. 
this is where your uncle, you know, sharing some blessed event in your family, right? Mm -hmm. This is where, you know, you're talking about what your children did that day at school, right? This is where, you know, your aunts and your uncles and your nieces and your nephews come and you break bread on a holiday. This is extremely personal. So you got to care. You can't just go in there and slap it on. You got to go in there. You got to respect the people. You got to respect the property. Um, you obviously were being hired to do something. So it's understanding the expectation, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not getting a color. Well, it's getting the color right, going in there respectfully, patiently, and doing things the right way. Right, mm -hmm. A lot of these things may go without saying, but they don't. And if you don't care at all levels, care about the people working for you, care about the job that's being done, care about those who are doing the painting, if you don't care, that's quickly going to be omitted and passed through. Mm -hmm. And the customer, one way or another, another is going to feel it, mm -hmm. which is, which is a, not a good thing. I mean, how do you feel about people that don't care? I don't. I choose not to do business with people who aren't enthusiastic about doing business with me. Uh, Eighteen years into this, I, I call it falling on my sword. When I get a sense that someone's going to try to beat me up on the price or be ultra critical of the work or not see the value in what I bring to the table, I, I respectfully call them and say I've lost faith in my ability to make you a happy customer, and I think there's a better fit out there for you. At this point in my life, I can't get out of bed and go to work for someone that's not enthusiastic about doing business with me and doesn't see the value in what I do. So to me, that's it's critical. I don't want that business. And it's not personal. I'm not mad at that person. There's probably right. a better fit out there for them. Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. And then, so it's the caring. But then everything else, for instance, um, we paint with certainty. And there's a play of words, right? Serta pro. Yeah. Serta, certainty. Yeah. We paint with certainty. Professionals. Yeah, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, there's um, uh, deliver what you promise. You know, again, it's respecting that you said you would do something and you're doing it, right? You deliver what you promise. Again, it's if you get right down to the heart of it, you care enough that you made a promise that you're going to fulfill. And if something goes wrong, you make it right. You make it right. You stand up to the mistakes. And I blew it. I made a mistake. We're going to fix it. Yeah. Right. Again, caring. Um, it, there's just so many different things you can say. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, again, another book, uh, what was it? Uh, Schultz wrote a book about the Howard Schultz from Starbucks. No, no, oh. no, no. Uh, Schultz, he, he uh, wrote the book about um, the Ritz Carlton, the I'm hotel not chain. I'm not familiar with that. And uh, there's a, the, it kind of opens up when he was hiring people trying to define the type of person that he wanted to work in the organization. And he kind of brought a team together. And this kind of stuck with me. that I can't, I'll never forget this. And um, it was all about um, core values. And what he wanted to hire with the, the group of people said was not only important for them, but what they wanted to admit, emit out to the customer, you and I, staying at that hotel. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be, ladies and gentlemen, 
working for ladies and gentlemen. I like that. I always thought that that, that part, that passage there just says it all. Yeah. You know, I want to be respected and considered and consider. I, I want to be respected and others to be considerate of what I do. And I don't care if I paint, but it, at the minimum, if I'm working for you, please respect what I do. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be just as considerate and just as respectful mm -hmm. of you. And see the value. So you value your money. I value my work. Ladies and gentlemen being working for ladies and gentlemen. I like that. I just want to add that I've known you for a long time. You have a stellar reputation. I've seen your work for many clients that we have in common and friends and associates. Certipro as a company has a stellar reputation out there as well, too. They are picky about they don't just sign anybody who up wants to grab a can of paint and a brush and become a Serta Pro painter. I mean, I know there's a process there. So I think that says a lot about you, that you were chosen for that. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, you mentioned not making the same mistake twice. I like to tell people that success is equal parts, the residue from the good decisions you've made and the good things you've done, and also equally the lessons you've learned from your mistakes. So winners are people who failed just as much as the next guy, but they got back up, they evaluated the situation, and I said, I'm not going to make this same, same mistake again. And they moved forward and they learned. I think that's, um, I, I think, I think that's an important thing to, to point out. And I haven't met a single person who's been successful or is not at least on the track to being successful by having a success mindset who sees that. Mm -hmm. uh, losers are people who don't learn from their mistakes, from their, from their losses. Um, I wanted to point that out. How many folks are on your team right now? Uh, direct employees, we have seven. Okay. And then we have our painter crews. Okay. I wanted to mention that because earlier you mentioned how much you've discovered that you are adequate at and, more importantly, enjoy developing people, developing their career track, helping them reach their potential. Um, that's a big thing. Um, we will, at this point, uh, uh, segue into our final segment, which is called See Good to Be Good. My wife and I started a nonprofit, and this is where we talk about um, causes my guests believe in, uh, keys to their success, um, things that uh, if there's a particular organization or anything that you participate in or you believe in you'd like to talk about. Let's segue into that. And the first question I'll ask you is, how did you become successful? Persistence and tenacity. Okay. It was all about the persistence. Yes, we, I've learned lots of things along the way, of which, you know, as I go through life, I apply different things. But at the core, persistence and tenacity. Okay. Can someone out there who maybe just graduated high school or college or just lost their job or suffering some, uh, some loss or a traumatic event and is down on their luck, can they look to someone like yourself and learn how do I turn this around? How do I become successful? What concrete steps and advice would you give that person to turn that ship around and become successful? Well, they can't focus on the down part of their lives. They need, they need to, they literally need to start reaching out to other people. They literally need to look, get an open mind, if you, if you kind of dig down, I really believe that if you kind of dig down when something negative happens in your life, it has happened for a reason. And if you can be like me, where you rewind, you're constantly rewinding those tapes in your head, and you kind of try and understand what happened and why these things happened, 
And then once you think you figured it out, you need to kind of let go and then look for other opportunities. And again, don't make the same mistakes, but you can't give up. You got to be very persistent, very tenacious. Yeah. And you got to keep looking. Opportunities are out there. You know, there there are lots of old cliches, you know, when a door, one door closes, another one opens. Mm -hmm. You know, those are so true. You find that as you get through life, they are so true. I've, I've never been in a situation where something so bad has happened to me that there were no other opportunities. It's, you got to just sit down, kind of focus and put things aside and figure it out and, you know, roll up your sleeves and just figure it out and get yourself out of that problematic issue and then make sure you learn from that experience. You don't get back in that again. You just, and if you had to take another path, you take another path. I love motivational quotes. Uh, one I heard recently was, um, when the student is ready to learn, the teacher will appear. I love that. What was that from? I don't know. I, I would guess it's something out of Chinese or Japanese culture. It sounds very... You know, I've heard that. I mean... It might come from a movie or something. Yeah, but I heard, heard that, that... recently. I did too. Very recently. And it stuck with that. me, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I really think that's profound. Another one, too, you mentioned a word very specifically. You said, when bad things happen to you, there's a reason. I'm going to respectfully disagree with that. I don't necessarily believe that bad things happen for a reason because that kind of justifies bad things happen. I choose to look at that as something good can come out of it, even, even the worst things. You can learn from that experience. It can be a source of motivation. It can be an example of how not to do something. So I personally kind of cringe when I hear, particularly people who are religiously oriented, they'll say, well, God has a plan for everyone. I don't know if the person being assaulted by, by their mother's boyfriend right now while she's at work, God... You know what I'm saying? That, that, that doesn't calculate with me personally. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But what I do say is good can come out of any situation. It doesn't justify what happened. It doesn't make that okay. So I personally just, I, I, when you mention that, I just I would word it a little bit differently. We're both coming from the same place. Um, and, uh, and Einstein also, you mentioned that you've mentioned tenacity and persistence over and over again. Stop me if you've heard this. Einstein said so many people gave up right before the finish line was in sight. I mean, they didn't realize, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, how close they were to success and crossing that line, and they just gave up. And how many people, how many of those people will never realize that? Yeah, and they just keep repeating that same, they're stuck in that cycle, yeah. Any uh, causes that you believe in you'd like to mention? or um, You know, some pretty good ones, especially here in Louisville, uh, the United Way. Does a ton of work in the community. They do, they do, and and Louisville, and we've lived in a lot of, we've been fortunate to live in a lot of different places because of my corporate life, and uh, I find that uh, out of all the places we live, Louisville is probably the most philanthropic of all. I'm glad to hear that. And I've never seen an organization like United Way as strong as it is here in this city. Okay, Um, I'm good. Now, specifically, I mean, the United Way helps all kinds of charities and organizations, but very specifically, uh, the American Cancer Society. Uh, my mom had, had cancer, and she's a survivor. Oh, um, great. So that kind of is near and dear to us. You have a personal connection. Um, had, a, well, had my, uh, my roommate in college, my best man, passed away from cancer. Wow. Uh, but my mom really brought it home um and then also any organization that helps kids out yeah uh, 
are always, in my opinion, are always great things, great things to for for us to spend our time and efforts. That's great. I wanted to mention that part of the mission of the podcast is not just to promote myself and our guests; it's also to do some good in the community. And for anybody listening that want uh, that wants to represent a nonprofit, nonprofit. We offer a free one-hour episode once a month to any nonprofit that wants to come on and promote their business or their nonprofit, their organization. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to put that out there. Um, and in terms of having a personal connection to the American Cancer Society, and um, I, I understand that I've lost some folks too. Um, there's so many good things that need to be done in the community, and there's so many people that need help. Without getting political here, I'm not ashamed of what I'm about to say. My most liberal political issue is children. They didn't ask to be here. They can't speak for themselves. They can't provide for themselves. There's got to be enough resources in a country as rich and successful as ours to make sure that every child has access to a decent education, clothing on their back, a stable home environment, health care, food, the basics of life. I just will never back down from that. Um, The adults, I'm not as, you know, the adults, most of them should be able to care Uh, provide for and take care of themselves as part of being an adult. There's the exceptions. I'm fine helping those Mm -hmm. people. But when it comes to kids, we need to do a better job. Um, So that totally resonated with me when you mentioned children in the United Way. Well, this has been a phenomenal episode, Lee, Uh, probably the most impactful and compelling episode. Uh, Thank you for coming. Thank you for for having me. Of course. And uh, again, the purpose of having you on here was to promote yourself and CertiPro. So um, tell people how they can interact with your business, what kind of work you're looking for, and anything else you want them to know. Well, uh, the easiest way to find us, of course, is on the internet, CertiPro.com, and you'll find us. Uh, Specifically, our webpage on the CertiPro is CertiPro Louisville Metro. Okay. Uh, that's you'll find our website there uh, but if you want to give us a call and speak to some of the great people that work at our office c- can i mention the phone of number? course that's the reason you're here all right well it's a uh, 502-290-6636 say that one more time 502-290-6636 perfect anything else we need to know um well Great time to get your home painted. It's getting warmer. Exteriors are more... Exteriors are really kicking in gear right now. Great time to get them done. And uh, if anything, right, did you know that painting in the springtime, especially the interiors, isn't necessarily the best time to do an interior? Did you know that? No, educate me. Well, uh, well, a lot of the... Well, back in the day, uh, paint was mostly oil paint. And oil would take a long time to dry in that environment absolutely you want to open the windows let the house breathe let the breeze blow through your house it would help facilitate and get the paint to dry yeah but in modern day we have all our products are water soluble they're doing away with the oils little by little and the acrylics uh, they dry relatively quick and many of our homes have central air and heat okay so the air is naturally circulating in your home okay and did you know that a house that is designed properly will circulate, air will circulate in a home at least 10 times an hour through a central air system. Huh. So how that's does that a relate, lot of air moving. How does that relate to, to the shift to acrylic then? Well, because the air is moving through the home, it helps the product on the wall dry faster. Oh, and in the springtime, people are less likely to turn their unit on so because they're... 
what happens in the months of April and May? Rain. It rains a lot. Yeah. That puts a lot of humidity in the air. Yeah. So why would you want to open the windows yeah. and let the humid air come in Okay. when you're trying to get it to go out? You need dry air circulating. Exactly. So okay. the winter, great time for interiors. Gotcha. Now, a lot of people, now, some people rightfully so, the, the odors of the chemicals may trigger some headaches. Or allergies. Or allergies. Yeah. Uh, but typically, it's the headaches, and there's a small population that rightfully so. That, that bad idea for them. Okay. But the majority of us, the best time really to do it is through the winter. And in the springtime, if you're doing it in the springtime, please don't open the windows. <laughs> Let all that rain that's happening outside, all that humidity come indoors. Yeah. And, of course, you know, in September, in July or in August, when it's really humid out, again, keep the windows closed. And let the air conditioning, let that air circulate in your home. Just the movement of air yeah. will help dry at those surfaces. Excellent. I just learned something. And uh, contact Lee and his team if you want to learn more. He'll, he and his team will take the time to educate you about what you need to know to make the best decision for your interior, your exterior, whatever your, your painting project might be. Thanks, Lee, for coming today. Thank you for having us. To think, I'd like to thank the listeners uh, of our podcast and our sponsors for making this podcast uh, possible and hopefully successful ultimately. Uh, our podcast is now available on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Interact with us on any of those uh, channels. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Um, if you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast, please contact us for more information. And this is the end of our episode for today our podcast as always has been brought to you by reliable tech help for all your it needs call reliable tech help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliable tech that's reliable tech t-e-k help.com and we will see you real soon on a future episode of the respect the math podcast